you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd I finally finished the first episode of Ash vs. Evil Dead, The Return. Okay. I uh, came back, and then I started to watch the second one, and I, I fell asleep, unfortunately. Um, I've been really getting into AP Bio because that show. And I just gave up on it. The disappointment with that show is that, I mean, it, it's full of unlikable people, and that's, yes. and that's fine, and I, I, can get, I can get behind that. I, I mean, like the kids. Because it's like it's, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but my disappointment in the show is that Patton Oswalt has not really gotten That's to what be Patton I said, Oswalt. Like with the second episode, I'm going, there's nothing Patton Oswalt about this. Mm-mm. And anybody could have played that. Well, not anybody, but, but they're not writing to the strength of Patton Oswalt. No. Agents of shield did a better job of, of letting Patton Oswalt be Patton Oswalt. Who's your favorite kid character? That's a really good question. The one that's kind of, uh, you know, the saxophone player, mainly because he does the redhead because you probably haven't gotten to that point where he says there's, they're like doing some kind of secret thing that they don't want the administration to find out, find out about. And so he's going to be the lookout and he's got his saxophone and he says, I'm going to play, I don't even know the name of the piece. Baker Street. (laughs) Yeah. The one that goes, yeah, Baker Street. He goes, I'm going to play Baker Street. And they go, what? And he says, you'll know it when you hear it. (laughs) And of course, there's this big, heavy, red-headed kid playing Baker Street in the hallway. Gee, like that's not <laughs> suspicious. And then the last episode this week really gave him focus, and okay. so he was. It was very. I, I thought it was very funny. I, I like the kids. Uh, it, I like. I like. My favorite is the girl with the really heavy glasses. Oh yes, no, she's very funny. She's. she's and your timing and is. You need to. You need great. to keep going because oh, really? okay. because she has a couple of of moments that are just like. Her delivery is perfect. I'm not even sure how to read what her reaction right. was, but it's but it's but it's brilliant. And they and they know what they've got and they're not overusing her. Good. Good. Um it's interesting because I feel like we're getting this whole wave of like sitcoms that are um they're ticking clock premises. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. You, you, this can only go so far. And which is fine I'm, because the good place pulled it off. Yeah. And uh so I'm I'm willing to give it that, and I really like the guy. Uh, I, I'm blanking on his name. I think it's Mike O'Brien. Was I loved his writing on Saturday Night Live, and oh. so he's the creator of AP Bio. So like, that's the thing is, it probably should have been a film. It, it's almost like if you had done that and just done yeah. done this, yeah. or stayed at miniseries. Eight episodes and out. Well, there it is. See, that's that's the thing. The British do. TVs. That's why they, that's why they do it right. Exactly, exactly. So, hey, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and sitting across from me. 
twiddling dials and doing all kinds of madman things. I'm taking notes. This is Rick Brett. That's true. It is funny. Like, we're here with all this digital stuff, and then you've got a notepad a notepad and a pencil. Oh, now you, oh wait, you've upgraded to a no, pen. I, I actually have, this is a really cool, one of my favorite, a Faber-Castell uh, artist pen that I, I love deeply. I buy a lot of art equipment. I wanted to say... We are not one-dimensional nerds. We are nerdy in so many, many different yeah. ways. So here we are. And uh, that did you actually name yourself? I said really quick, I'm Rick, Rick. Brett Snyder. There we go. Mm, at the Brett Cave. Uh, so here we are. And uh, so, of course, if you are listening to us on your favorite podcatcher, rate us, review us, uh, tell your friends. And, of course, if there's anything we talk about on tonight's episode that you would like to own for your very self, legally and you cannot find it at your local brick and mortar store you can of course go to the handy dandy amazon link that is on each and every page where our podcast is also on each has its own individual pages and occasionally we have specific links to things we've talked about and uh, we get a small kickback from that as well as we are affiliated with think geek and think geek did you see today it's like they sent me an ad to update that was just for Rick Brettschneider. I did not. Uh, a week's worth of Ready Player One merchandise. Oh, I did look at that. I did see all so, that. So, I mean, if if yeah. anybody is like Rick Brettschneider and vibrating with anticipation of Ready Player One. Which leads right in. I'm just fascinated by your t-shirt because your, your shirt, it's a pocketed t-shirt. You've got Ultraman on one side throwing these rings of fire and they're all going like like three point shots into the pocket of your shirt. I won't name names. Do they glow? Do they glow in the dark? Because they're looking kind they of. They look like they do, but ooh, I don't know. Let's not turn off the lights okay. to see because that okay. will just get weird. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is actually from Japan, where they have a, an Ultraman Emporium because he is still the cultural national hero. Yeah, and uh, fortunately, not in Ready Player One, the movie. No, no, because. With all that, the weird thing is nobody seems to know that he's in the middle of a rights battle. Like, who actually owns really? Ultraman? That's why he's not in Ready Player One. Oh. But I don't want to get bogged down in that no. because I want people to know how what else they need to do up top. Which, of course, yeah. is if you want to just help defray the cost of hosting the website and the podcast. Um, honestly, it isn't free. Uh, it's not super expensive, but it's, you know, it'd be nice to defray every now and then. You can, of course, donate at PayPal at, to editor at fanboyplanet.com. But if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com because I know that we'll say something on this podcast that will make you go, hey, and you want to you wanna comment about it, and that is A-OK with us. You know what else they can do? They can sponsor a show by sending us a, a, an ad to run. Hey, that's right. Thanks for reminding me that we have that up front here, which is, well, we have this week's sponsor, The Mirror's Revenge. Why did the evil queen want to kill Snow White? Who is really behind the mayhem, and are they done? The Mirror's Revenge answers these questions and more as the new musical sequel to Snow White. Twelve years in the making, this production will premiere on the opening night of Worldcon in San Jose on August 16th. Then tour to Walnut Creek, August 24th through September 2nd. Imagine all the spectacle of live musical theater, complete with dark secrets, revenge, and magic. You can help bring this dream to life. Please go to kickstarter.com and type in the search for The Mirror's Revenge Goes on Stage. Read about the fascinating path this show has taken from inspiration to full production. Then please consider donating. Our donor rewards include front row seats. Think of it as simply buying your tickets in advance. 
If you're already going to Worldcon, check out our very cool t-shirts and the cast album of all the songs. Be a part of what comes next for Snow White. This is your chance to add to the Snow White canon. That's kickstarter.com. The Mirror's Revenge goes on stage. And there you go. And it, once again, if, if you have something uh, you'd like to help uh, with Fanboy Planet and sponsor you by literally help. having an ad, you have a product, uh, you know, we are happy to uh, have Let's that talk. run. Let's t- absolutely right into editor at fanboyplanet.com. Our rates are reasonable. And uh, so uh, I think I've covered everything there. We got some so. comics news. We got some movie news. We got some TV news. But first up in time travel, we have an interview uh, with a direct writer director from Cinequest that we we just conducted in the past and are now putting into the future, uh, the director of Wild Honey, Francis Stokes. This was really, truthfully, one of my favorite movies at Cinequest, and I just loved the vibe of it. I loved the energy of it, and just a sweet romantic comedy in the most unexpected ways. So. Without further ado, our conversation from just minutes ago, Francis Stokes. We are happy to welcome onto the podcast Francis Stokes, who is the writer-director of Wild Honey, which, was this the world premiere at Cinequest? The world premiere was actually at the uh, Austin Film Festival a couple months ago. Well, so this, that's not we're just shabby. sort of starting the festival process. Okay, so it, it's a it's a film about uh, a middle aged sex phone sex operator who finds both self worth and I think a little bit a little bit of romance unexpectedly, and you've got the cold of Chicago to the warmth of Los Angeles. Though I realize tonight you're calling from Los Angeles and probably not too warm. Yeah. <laughs> but we're, not warm here tonight. That's true. Uh, it's been raining uh, all week, but we needed it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on uh, your podcast. We're glad to have you. So what gave you the inspiration for for this? I know you had worked with Rusty, I think, on, on Buttleman. Is that right, The, the your first feature? That's right. Yeah, I mean, Harold Buttleman, Daredevil Stuntman is the full title. And it starred uh, John Hawks. Who at the time was not a big name, you know. Uh, uh, you know, he hadn't been nominated for an Oscar yet, and all. And uh, he was friends with Rusty, so he introduced me to her, and I uh, cast her as basically he's this small town tuxedo salesman who dreams of being Evil Knievel, and she's the local bartender that they go and the bar they go and hang out at. So that was Rusty's part in that. And then, so, so did you have the idea for Wild Honey? Uh, before meeting Rusty, what was the was the genesis? Was it was oh. like I've got to give Rusty Schwimmer a lead role? Which, if that was the instinct, you were right. But <laughs> yeah, but you know what, yeah, yeah. what really drove well, this? Kind of because I did a short film several years later that uh, I put Rusty in, and she came out from Chicago to film that, and we shot it just over a weekend. And and I really wanted to get back to feature filmmaking. I had been writing and TV for a few years. And so I sort of had the inspiration of doing that film. Like, I want to do this, but do a feature. And so I I proposed it to Rusty, and she was game. So then I kind of went through all my old ideas to find one that I thought would be perfect for her. And this was the one that we we went with. Yeah, it's not the kind of uh, 
as she said at Cinequest, you know, that, that uh, there aren't a lot of movies that star uh, people who, as she, she put it, look like her and that tell right. the stories yeah. of ordinary people that look like ordinary people. And so was that when the movie's called Ordinary People. (laughs) That's true. It's even the movie Ordinary (laughs) People did not look like ordinary people. They they don't exactly look like they're movie stars. Yeah. And and especially a romantic comedy, like it's extremely rare to have a romantic comedy lead uh, uh, look like Rusty and and to romantic comedies to feature people who are middle aged, to feature people who don't look like uh, Hollywood stars, you know, which is strange. Because uh, there's all those stories going on as well, In the and re- that's what interests me is to tell the stories that Hollywood isn't already constantly telling. And and I also want to want to, want to acknowledge is that they may not look like Hollywood stars, but doggone good actors. I mean, you've got some. Yeah, you've got an amazing. I, I, as I said to you, I think privately that it's like I didn't want to call it a uh, breakout or once in a lifetime role because I would like to see Rusty uh, get a lot of roles like this. Uh, and, and because she's been that character actor for so long, and this really, really proves that she can carry a film. I don't know that she had to prove it to anybody, but probably somebody. And, and Tim Amundsen, who is just, just terrific. Um, yeah. You know, how, yeah. I mean, uh, are, are you like working on another film script perhaps that that would would do that or uh just in, encouraging hoping that this is a this breaks through to a whole spate of of films imitating you well i don't know i mean i i'm not working on a new script yet you know i'm still kind of like in the aftermath of of this project because it took several years to do uh, and i loved working with these actors and i love you know, act- actors that are considered character actors, like you say, by Hollywood, are usually the ones that excite me the most. All four of the ma- the main actors in this movie were playing parts that they do not normally get cast in. You know, they're they're all actors that have long careers and recognizable faces and respected uh, actors that don't normally play this kind of role. And I think that's what attra- they said. That's what attracted them to uh, this project. You know. Uh, so that, that's exciting to me to see, cause yeah, Tim Amundsen is really very charming in the movie and he tends to play sort of more broadly comedic roles, like on the show Gallivant where he's the, the king, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and you got Stephanie, and, uh, Stephanie Todd is, yeah, oh. sorry. I was going to say Todd Stashwick is normally sort of a menacing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, character. he said on, uh, uh, social media recently that he has resting villain face. <laughs> and uh it's it's true and i i wanted somebody who could be both menacing and funny for the part of vince her ex-boyfriend in the movie and a little and sad. Was, was perfect yeah and and stephanie yeah. ware who is you know from mad tv among other mad things TV. and and, and yeah. definitely cast she was as just on the, veep. she was on what she was just on veep oh okay yeah i'm i'm way behind on veep but uh, yeah, I mean, she's really funny. She's usually really tightly wound, and in, and in this film, in Wild Honey, there's a humanity that she. I, I don't think I've ever got, seen her get to play. Uh, you know, and an understatedness. Yeah, absolutely. They're wonderful. Their rapport as, as sisters is so great. But you're right. Like 
you know, you go on YouTube and look up her uh, Mad TV stuff, and it's just insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is definitely a different kind of role for her, but she's hysterical. She's so funny. Now, I'm going to tie this into Fanboy Planet, and I've warned you that this question was coming. So Timothy Amundsen's <laughs> one of his great disappointments, I, I don't know, or, or the almost was in life, was that in high school he had a band, a rock band, That's right. that performed yeah. songs almost uh, exclusively that were tributes to the works of Philip K. Dick. And so the na- the na- <laughs> right. so for anybody listening to this, there is a sci-fi fantasy tie-in to Wild Honey, and, and that is yeah, that's right. And this yeah. is a, a tribute. Well, it's uh, kind of a sci-fi fantasy nerd. There's a few references to it. He talks about playing Dungeons and Dragons in high school and all that stuff. He, he I think I was. He's a character who likes to uh, escape into fantasy worlds, which is how he became a phone sex caller as well you know oh, right and that's he does also have we get a little draft uh, uh an excerpt from the draft of the screenplay he's working on that is also sci-fi, <laughs> Which is sci-fi. but why philip yeah. k dick for you i felt like that was the right reference for somebody who actually knows their sci-fi and, and cares about you know smart writing because he's a writer uh so i don't know that it seemed uh seemed right to me i i'm fascinated with science fiction but i'm not an expert by any means you know i uh, i have uh friends who know more than i do that i turn to and say you know what should i read and 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 then mm-hmm. get it that way oh we can help you with that if you'd like uh <laughs> I, I bet. we yeah, can give you a reading list wholesale uh, that uh the the band was called Puke Bone, and so here's my Puke challenge bone. to you: you have to come up with. This was the the flaw in the film for me, not fatal, but that we don't uh-huh. get like over the end credits a song from the Puke Bone uh, EP or something. So oh, what 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 were some or of the even song just titles? like a performance at a, at a high school? Oh like, my concert, gosh! You know? Okay, you know there's still time to do a tie-in video. We'll, we'll help you. Uh, you know, but well, they're, <laughs> they're sort of because they, the band is called puke bone and he says it's named after a dog a, a bone that the dog puked up there obviously had kind of a juvenile sense of humor so i feel like their songs would have been like you know a scanner fartly uh, or something like that uh the transmigration of timothy barfer <laughs> you got two in that was good that was good and i know i put you on the spot yeah. with that but i, <laughs> I have to think of, i have to think of i have to think of one for electric sheep now <laughs> Yeah, I'm afraid this is kind of a family podcast. I just can't do yeah. it. I, I've got one that came to mind, and it's totally wrong. So it's uh, not going to cut it. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, <laughs> but they're anyway. high so you know they would have gone there. Yes, um, and this is not the end for Wild Honey. You were still on the festival circuit, and there are at least two film festivals coming up that people hopefully can catch Wild Honey at. And so, where yes. have you? Where can you publicly talk about? Right, yeah, there's a few we can't announce yet because they haven't announced their lineups, but Ashland uh, uh, International Film Festival, which is in Ashland, Oregon, lost. which is in Southern Oregon, that's coming up Ashland, in April, Ashland. mid-April, Ashland, and I'm going to be there for that. Oh, beautiful. Uh, and that's like a weekend thing, and it looks like a beautiful place. I've never been. Oh, uh, oh and you, we're excited. You, you need to spend a week there. there? Yeah, I'm, I'm there. Can you hear? Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Okay. You're saying that you've been. You need to. You oh yeah. There's the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, so you need to go to the film festival and then catch a Shakespeare play. It's it, uh, or any play. So it's fantastic. When, is the Shakespeare Festival ongoing? 
Uh, it runs from March till late October, early November. So I think they've Perfect. opened up already. Yeah. And they have a great comic That's book exciting. shop. That's exciting. Yeah. Only, and only, and it's, they, it's a two-story comic book shop. No, no. It's just one? It's, it's upstairs. upstairs. Yeah, upstairs. Okay. They have a great comic shop. But... Uh, <laughs> but oh, that's nice. just us. We always have to tie tie that in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's there at the uh, Ashland Film Festival. And what's the other one that you can that's announced? Uh, the Newport Beach Film Festival, Newport uh, which Beach. is exciting because that's going to be our first one that's reasonably within the L.A. area. You know, it's uh, <laughs> uh, just south of here. It's in Orange County. Uh, you don't get to make a vacation out of it. That's too bad. But that, that's good. Yeah, yeah, no, but I'm, but I'm excited because hopefully some of the other cast and crew will be able to uh, be there and see the film on the big screen for the first time, you know. Oh, that will be great. Okay, we, we know you have to, have to run, so thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, Francis, and best of luck with Wild Honey, and I hope that it's coming to a theater near us sometime in the, in the near future, and, um, and looking forward to your next work. Thank you so much. I, I'd love to come back anytime. Thanks yeah, for having me. Absolutely. Good night. With all this time travel, Rick, what's I'm the exhausted. date? What's the date? It's the 22nd of March. No, the year, man, the year. I've forgotten. It worked. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> who's the president? Ronald Reagan? Oh, my God. Okay. Anyway, uh, so let's get into some comics news. <laughs> The, Why'd your hair get all frizzy? I, great Scott! That uh, this is an episode. I feel like we're talking a lot about. Going to be talking a lot about endings this week, and one of the things is that it was announced from Top Shelf Comics that Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill are bringing the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to an end with a miniseries, six-issue miniseries that comes out in June. The first issue comes out in June, called the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen: The Tempest, which of course is. The farewell play from William Shakespeare, uh, most appropriate. Oh, I never knew that literary. Yes, that's the. Yeah, that's the last. That's the that's last his play. Last play, and it is clearly written as a farewell. Hmm. You know, putting away the magic of right, theater and right. so forth. And I think Prospero has had been in the League, the Black Dossier, and so it, the, the seeds have been planted for earlier, a long time. An earlier, an earlier League, a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes, and I admit that I think the last couple of specials that they had released, I don't think I've they read them. like 10 years, every one of them. Well, and, and this would be 2018, which, by the way, in the Alan Moore, the Minds of Alan Moore, uh, the Mindscape of Alan Moore, the documentary about him, he does mention by 2018, society <coughs> will turn to steam. So this is probably also another magical spell. He means we'll go to steam for power or we'll actually vaporize. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I thought maybe it was uh, science, science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics, like STEM. But we, yeah. you know, for a brief shiny moment, we tried to add an A. Those of us who were arts teachers uh-huh. tried to add an A into that and make it STEAM. But I'm not seeing anybody pick that one up. It just, it just wasn't catchy. So society yeah. is just going to turn to STEM. <laughs> nah, it's not no, as good. Not yeah. So anyway, it, it's coming out. Uh, a fun, I, I will admit that kind of one of the things that uh, I started just getting uh, that I, that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen lost me after I loved the first two miniseries was that I kind of went going, we get it. You've read every single yes, thing ever yes. written. And well, you, you buy the book and you know you're going to have to buy another book to explain all the and, references the and, you, and you make it clear that Philip Jose Farmer with his whole Wold Newton thing yes. was an amateur. An yes. amateur. Yes. So 
Kim Newman also. Kim Piker. Nothing compared to Alan Moore. Uh, except I... Except more accessible. I'm almost caught up with, <laughs> with Kim Newman. <laughs> so this is not a diss on Kim Newman because I love the Anno oh, Dracula books man, oh, man. and uh, everything involved. So uh, that's that's that coming. And I, I did want to pay attention to Top Shelf because we, we don't pay attention enough. They're also the publisher that came out with March, John Lewis's great mm, uh, yes. three-volume autobiogra- autobiographical graphic novel. And... The, which up until March 30th, you can probably pick up at Meltdown Comics. I think we had mentioned that there was trouble on the horizon, and it was announced this week that Meltdown, Com- Meltdown Comics, which is a fantastic, fantastic comic shop in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, yes, it is on Sunset. I had to think about that for a second. It is shutting its doors on March 30th, and they're not relocating they're really shutting down. Now, this is where the nerdist... The, the earlier rumor was they were really... That they were looking for a place. They made no reference to that. They just, in their announcement, said, no, they're they're shutting down. They're not selling new comics this week. It's over. It's just... That's a shame. I went in there for the first time in January, and they had stuff that I, I've i never seen in a comic store. Before. No, and that's what I liked about it is I, why I like going, especially in Los Angeles, to regional com, you know, to comic shops in L.A., uh-huh. because there are a lot of regional publishers yes. that may not make it a diamond, but I know that I have found things like At Earth 2, specifically Susan uh, Avalone or, or Cardi Angelo will tell me, hey, you, you would really like this book specifically, and they're the only place I've ever seen it. Yeah. And I felt that way going to Meltdown, that there were graphic novels that I – trade paperbacks that I never saw anyplace else. I bought a couple, and it was just like – it was cool to see like this, you know, just the things that aren't getting national distribution. So anytime a comic shop that was taking a, ch- taking a chance on creators and offering fantastic classes for local creators and kids, which I know other shops do. Earth 2 is one, definitely. Elusive started offering art classes. Gaz Gretzky, who did the fantastic uh, caricatures of us, uh, is teaching classes on a fairly regular basis at oh, Elusive great. Comics great, and Games. Great, great. But, you know, it's, it's just a shame – because like the Nerdist got their start there, there yeah. was the um, there Meltdown was a series with, uh, of uh, Kanael, uh, yeah, and uh, Kanael Nanjani got big there, right? And they've yeah. been doing uh, yeah. they've basically been doing stand up there. I think Thrilling Adventure Hour yeah. performed there a few times. I think you're right. And so you know they put out there and they said you know they're they also put out a list of of local comic shops that they hoped would pick up the slack in their customers' lives, recommending a shop called Quest, the comic bug in Culver City, which our friend Mike Wellman is is the co-owner of, Alternate Universe in Echo Park, and the Perky Nerd which is in Burbank, which is one I really have to go to because oh. it's a coffee shop as well as uh, apparently a great uh, comic shop and uh, art gallery. So there's some really cool things happening at the Perky Nerd, and I have not gone there yet. I want to add there as well to people that Earth 2 in Sherman Oaks and also in in uh, Northridge is a, a favorite shop. I suspect that what they named were things that were closest to them. Right. But they also didn't mention Golden Apple in Hollywood, which is a pretty good store. I have always found it hard to get parking by there, but uh, I, I, I'll be honest about that. But you know what? It was a pain in the butt to get parking at Meltdown, and yet it was such a magnificent place. It was worth every 
bit of pain. <laughs> so are they closed now? Uh, they closed March 30th. Okay. And the reason basically is, you know, the rent shot up and they're going to replace it with an apart gleaming apartment tower, um, you know, because that's where the money is. Gentrification of Los Angeles. And of Hollywood, of all places. Yeah. It's just like, but, you know, I, I've been talking with a couple of friends about that and, and realized, well, I mean, you were just down there as well to say where the Pantages is, this uh-huh. great old palace, movie palace slash theater where most of the musicals go, perform in Los Angeles. When I first started going to the Pantages, it was not the best of neighborhoods, mm-hmm. but there was a great art scene. And now it's the part, the place where I used to park for like 10 bucks it has been that lot giant lot has been closed down and that's a tower and suddenly they opened up uh, a place across the street where all the hipsters go where the shake shack is and a great uh, health food restaurant i mean and they're great places but it's still like the it is definitely reshaping the neighborhood and i'm not sure that the people that are on the streets there would right. even have a hope in hell. Well, all these older buildings were easy; were, were lower rent, and that's why you had so many great, like used clothing shops mm-hmm. and uh, iguanas. Iguanas and, clothing down there, yeah. um, and uh, well, the um, what's barks. the Star Wars? Uh, no, the Star the Star Wars oh, bar down there, Scum and Villainy. Scum and Villainy Cantina opened yeah. up in that neighborhood for yeah. that reason, and I'm sure that they're doing. I know that they're doing quite they're well. Doing and they can afford afford it, but it's still just kind of weird to see all the. I guess you know, it, it, what frustrates me, and sorry to get on a soapbox, is because I see it happening up here in Silicon Valley too. Oh, yeah. And then we're getting the pushback is all the things that make a place culturally interesting to live are getting taken away by people who want to live there. Who want to live? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a weird dichotomy, but it's yeah. it's true. No, it's true. And we're tearing down the things that are interesting to build shiny towers that are anonymous and they're the same right. and they're, but they're gleaming, they're shiny, they're a Philip K. Dick future. Uh, there's that one, there is one apartment tower in downtown San Jose with the red neon stripe up yes. the side. Is that Axis? Uh, I don't know. I don't think that's oh, Axis. It's, it's, like, it's like one north. Live? I live in no, Axis. no, it's totally boring. It's like yeah. one north. But it's like, right. it's like you know, at, at night, the laser beam goes up and uh, and, and calls to uh, the MCP. Right. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, you know, it just saddens me. And Anything and, make you happy? Many things. Comics in general. I just and, – and the fact that there are still many comic shops that I love yes. going to that are still open, I'm just sorry to see Meltdown go because I know it wasn't just a comic shop. It was a cultural hub. Yes. And I think as comic shops need to thrive in the next few years, it is as a cultural hub. And I've seen that happen at Elusive. I've seen that happen at Earth 2. I know what's happening at the comic bug. And so I feel good about that and, and the retailers that I know that are holding on. And doing more than holding on that they're thriving. So let's support your local comic shop. And let's talk about the comics we got at our local comic shop this week. Oh, yeah. What's in the bag, Rick? What's in your stack? Oh, I'm going to go first again. Uh, well, you always do. I Because I, I, I want you to. It's yeah. alphabetical. Brett Schneider. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I'll start with Future Quest Presents number eight. Mitor. Who... I, did this? No, they don't say the mighty Mitor anymore. No, it just says Hanna Barbera Mitor. Yes. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I was looking. I can't find a credits page in here. It's Jeff Parker. Okay. Uh, there is, uh, because I... Is uh, it this, halfway through the book? No, 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 no. Uh, it's on the second page. Jeff Parker, it's writer, Steve Lieber, artist. Ryan Hill is the colorist. Oh, there it is. Somehow my page is stuck together. Uh, really? It's a brand new book. Already? Uh, yeah, okay. Jeff Parker, Steve Lieber, Ryan Hill. Yeah. Okay. Jeff so, Parker being awesome. He's the guy who also wrote a lot of Batman 66. Yeah, they're, they're, all, um, they're all basically... I mean, the art is cast in the same... Uh, same style as we've seen most of the Hanna Barbera, uh, Future Quest um, stuff, which is which is nicely heroic, serviceable art. I like it a lot. Um, I, I this is just what what kicks me about this one is the that uh, I know there was a Mitor character on TV at one point. I don't remember actually sitting down and seeing any episodes I don't, of I, it. it. He was one of, you know, because they, they ran these shows, these series originally as like anthologies. Yeah. So I'm not sure who he was the backup to. Yeah. He I, was not a lead. It was not like there was never a Mighty Mitor show. <laughs> I think he might have been a, a Space Ghost back backup, but I think there were a couple. I know the Herculoids were a, right. or a Space Ghost backup. Right. I so, thought Dino Boy was, but maybe my my tour was too. But the nice thing about Future Quest is that it always delivers. It delivers exactly what you think you're going to get in this series, as far as nostalgia, as far as relatively simple stories, heroic characters, and I like it a lot. And what I was going to the other thing it always delivers is a book you can just pick up and jump into. That's true. That's true. And even though there seems to be a loose continuity, uh, it's it's a consistent yeah. continuity. It's not a it's not a, you had to read this oh, issue. this makes no sense. I guess I missed right. the previous it, it is. Everything you need to know is in that book, yeah. is is in that issue, and it was fun. And it's definitely one of those that makes you go like, oh, I want to read more Future Quest. Right. And they're always cool characters. So uh, next up in mine is going to be Superman 43. Because we're, we're counting down to Brian Michael Bendis taking over in Action yes. Comics 1000. But in the meantime, uh, this is actually part two of a story. That, oh no, this wasn't that, no, okay. that is involving the Bizarro world mm-hmm. and young John Superboy, the new Superboy, the ten-year-old son of, of Superman, encountering his Bizarro duplicate. Now, have you read this yet? I have not read that. one Okay, yet. well then, what you need to look forward to, what you get to look forward to, is the Bizarro Damien. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god! Uh, it took me a moment because because Bizarro stories, the way they write the dialogue and so forth, always make my head hurt. Right. But the Bizarro Damien is mustachioed and dashing. He's like a ten, a thirteen year old Errol Flynn. Wow! And because as rude and uh, peremptory as Damien is. Oh no! The exact opposite. the exact opposite. That's lovely. Uh, it was. It's a great characterization, and it's a fun story because it's also there's an interesting thing, and I, I won't spoil spoil further. But there's an interesting thing about the Bizarro family dynamic that the '60s stories and the uh-huh. '50s stories would not have really explored. I think the Bizarro stories, in, at least everyone that I've read since uh, Rebirth, 
have been really intriguing as far as as far as the way the characters yeah. react and the think. dialogue still hurts my head. And you know the dialogue is like a perfect code because you have to work it out in your head. There's no there's no decoder uh, yeah. wheel for that. You're, and what is great is that Superman has figured it out uh, and can speak, he Bizarro, can speak Bizarro. And it's really it makes my head hurt, but it's still <laughs> it's 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 worth yeah. it. Yeah. This is fun as you're kind as Damien, the actual Damien's not in this, but but I really love the characterization of John, and I love the growth and the father son dynamic of Superman and Superboy. That's wonderful in the whole. It, it's whole it's just been terrific. Yeah. And again, to any and this is Patrick Gleason and uh, Peter J. Tomasi, who are going to leave this book, you know, because Bendis is relaunching everything. There's some really beautiful stuff going on right now. So do do yourself a favor and pick it up. Yep. What's next in your stack? Well, next in my stack, it's not really a PSA, <laughs> but uh, I we did. Da, 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 did you pick this up too? Or did no, you? we just no, talked okay. about that. We, no, we, 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 I, I didn't. I know it's time travel. Right. Maybe it was a week ago we had this conversation. I don't know. No, 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 what no, no. We, what year is it, man? You knew of it, and I didn't know if you'd picked it up. No, right? I'm I'm very conscious. So of this is things. Iron Man Hong Kong Heroes number one, and you know what I I, I realized in this, you know, I, I bought this book and I went through it. And I, like I flipped through it really fast and it was enough for me to say, I really, I don't want to get issue two. Um, it wasn't necessarily a bad book. The arts. Good. Can I take a look just to see Go if there right is ahead. an issue number two? No, because in, in the fine print, it says one shot. Right. But, okay. So but, be- right. but before I found that out, I actually already canceled <laughs> my, my pull list for it. Um, and it was very amusing when the, uh, when the uh, when Neil of uh, Hijinks Comics said, you know, it's it's great you're canceling that on the day you bought it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's a it's an interesting uh, idea. We're, we were mulling over whether or not it was tied into any kind of DC property and or Marvel property because Marvel it wouldn't be, com- it wouldn't me, be tied me. into a DC. Right, right. No, we were talking. Disney we were, hasn't bought DC right, yet. Right, right. But we were talking about Disney's. Chinese Superman and the reasons why uh, for doing you were that. talking about DC's Chinese Superman DC's Chinese Superman um so you know just if you're gonna buy be be aware it's a one shot it looks uh, for one thing it's a little derivative of other stuff that's going on in the Iron Man universe right now with uh, Riri and uh, Ironheart because we've got it and it's it's another and it's it's actually a callback to the rescue armor that Pepper Potts wore for a while mm-hmm. too. So you know it's, I, it's I think the I think the other thing is it's probably designed to do very well in China. And we were talking about right. this is right. is that it, for all that I enjoy new Superman and the Justice League of China I have not and I could be ignorant and again hey this is an invitation for somebody who knows better Please. than me to write in uh, I have not been aware of of that book being a part of DC making any particular effort to, to market to, to market in China. I think it was just a a good idea. It's a good book uh, by Jean Luen Yang. Uh, love it, uh, but you know this is. I know that Marvel has done a, made a lot of inroads to publishing in China and. And, and and partially because they do have like you, know, you say in the Marvel thing and it's just up on Fanboy Planet this week right. that right. there's an expansion in Hong Kong Disneyland 
that's going to add an Ant-Man and the Wasp attraction to the Iron Man experience, which I suspect this is, book is also tied into. They didn't announce any Marvel presence for Shanghai, but I think that's just a matter of time. There's only so much they can do with their resources. They announced Marvel uh, expansions in, well, we already knew one was going to happen in Orlando. There's Guardians of the Galaxy ride coming. Right. But they announced the California Adventure expansion. They announced the Disneyland Paris expansion and a Hong Kong Disneyland expansion so you know i i know that there's a lot more presence taking bug's life away a bug's land a bug's bug's land land. yes uh but but the thing is like dc doesn't have there's not a six flags presence yet yet in in asia really so again if i if if i'm misspeaking uh or speaking out of ignorance which God knows I do that if anybody knows better, write in at editor at fanboyplanet.com or make a comment on Facebook or tweet me at fanboyplanet. Yeah. Well, but yeah, in any case, Justice Wong, Howard and Justice Wong, it is the first appearance of a character, whether or not that character is ever seen again. Who time knows? Will tell. Or yeah. Uh, my next recommendation is the brave and the bold. Number two, you got to recommend number mm-hmm. one, I think there you go. Um, this is, I just want to say, you know, Liam Sharp written and penciled and inked and it's Romeo Fajardo jr. On the colors, uh, which is, you know, I want to call Romulo, not Ro- Romeo, sorry, Romulo Fajardo jr. On colors. And this is a, a book where, you know, again, there's a, a, a rightful and overdue movement to acknowledge color colorists as part of a part of the art. And it's very clear. Uh, This is just a beautiful book. And when, and if you feel like you're too late and you want to gather these things as trades, uh, this where it deals with uh, as much as I am from years past, a wonder woman, Batman shipper, I believe that they are logical soulmates. Uh, Liam disagrees with me and that's okay that there is a a reason for Batman and Wonder Woman to team up in the uh, realm of Irish mythology and it's just a gorgeous book and there's a sense of impending doom and there's a moment in here I won't spoil it but that Batman in the face of facing the supernatural Liam captured so perfectly the Batman personality that I just, I almost squeed. I was reading it in public and went, that is such a great Batman moment. And so this is a gorgeous book and it's going to be well worth getting a trade or better yet. I, and I rarely say this, uh, I'm the deluxe hardcover. I will absolutely have to buy because I, I don't know that there is a deluxe hardcover coming, but well, let's face it. We know how the industry works. Yes, they've got something really special on their hands. It's going to be a deluxe hardcover. Uh-huh. I'm going to pick up that deluxe hardcover because, as I've said before, Liam Sharp has been so overdue for superstardom in the comics industry. And this is just such a magnificent book with two of, of the industry's most popular characters. And it's just beautifully, beautifully done. Yeah. So I can't be effusive enough. Go ahead. So... um my last book is uh, issue 705 of The Mighty Thor, which um, is part of the continuing Death of the Mighty Thor series that we've been, we've been anticipating was going to happen since issue 700. Which, by the way, again, I have to say, that's the Jane Foster yes. version of Thor. Well, well, we'll get to that. Yeah. The, um, 
Jer- uh, Jason Aaron is the uh, writer and Russell Dodderman Dodderman is the artist. Um, and Dodderman's portrayal of Jane Foster is so fragile and tragic and haunting uh, as t- uh, that really sends this book into realms of anticipating a character's death we've never been in before. Um, I'm thinking of uh, the, the last character of note that I remember dying from cancer in a Marvel book was Captain Marvel. Who, which was a graphic novel. Which, you you went through all the stages right there in yeah, 64 pages. Right. And you... And Marvel, even though he he got a bit frailer at the end, we never really saw, if you've ever watched a loved one... Well, it was still Jim Starlin through, art, and Jim Starlin cannot draw emaciated. He can't, he can't draw people who are not at the peak of, of <laughs> I love his work, don't yes. get me wrong, but yeah. No, I, I love that. That That's my favorite graphic novel of, of all time. I, I, I'm pretty sure you could put it up against anything else. Maybe not All-Star Superman, but, um, but that... That was actually a graphic novel, whereas All Star Superman is a collection. Of sure, sure. Shows. Anyway, this is called Sundown, and we have the continuation of the fight with Mangog, who is a long time. You know, this is like one of those really super upper Thor mm-hmm. villains. He's he is the embodiment of a billion billion uh, people's hate. I had to go back to Wikipedia because I was like, oh, where so, did he come so, from? So like the Republican Party. Oh, sure, sh- sure. Okay, sorry. You're the one who tells me not. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm just, you know. Yeah. Now, we have we have in this um, a bunch of flash forward flashbacks into, we actually get to see Jane Foster when she is on the moon picking up the hammer for the first time. Have we not seen that before? I don't think we've ever seen that before. We just saw her hand? Because we see the letters on the hammer mm-hmm. change to add the S in front of he, um, which mm. is, it's poignant. It's it's a very poignant book, as well as being an absolutely brutal set of fight scenes uh, involving Odin's son and Odin and Frigga and... Uh, not Loki, because he's smart enough to get the heck out of there after trying to convince everyone else to get the heck out of there. Um, and we see the ultimate sacrifice, the active ultimate sacrifice of Jane Foster trying to save the gods, who she doesn't really... She It's a very complex relationship between why she saves them and why she doesn't like them very much. And in general... I mean, that has been the soul of this incarnation of the character, Indeed. that every time she relinquishes the hammer, she, she undoes she undoes the prog- <coughs> progress she had made with her chemotherapy right. fighting cancer. Right, and we knew she had one more transformation in her, and she used it. And so the pages of this book, two, two things happened in the end of this book, not really spoilers, to, because we're not... We're not really, and I, I'm not going to spoil the the most lovely part of the book. So go out and buy this thing. We do get a large uh, a, a pullback shot of the remaining gods who have survived the thing, and we get to see that yeah, um, uh, Volstag, who t- had turned into the War Thor uh, a couple of okay, issues yeah, yeah. before, which was an awesome character, but he got totally trashed by a Mangog, um, is apparently not dead. Uh, we most of the characters we care about in the book are still have been saved by by Jane, and we have the lead in to issue six hundred. 
Oh, and, pardon me, issue six hundred, issue, issue seven hundred six, uh, mm-hmm. which will be the end of this this run. of this uncreation of Thor, because yeah. there will be Marvel's not calling it rebirth, fresh start, fresh start, fresh start, right. giving us the old. But one thing I, I want to say, so that's not a spoiler because this whole story started as the death of the mighty yeah, Thor. It's nothing I've said. It's like a Shakespeare anything. play when it says the tragedy of. So it's the death of, and what I really hope is as beautiful as this has been, and the death of Captain Marvel has done. Marvel's cheated a little bit, but they've, but they've let that death stand. And I think, they have. and I mean, they pulled, they, they pulled him, they since. pulled him out of the time stream. And they've had other characters who looked a lot like him. The, yeah, as I say, so, they cheated. They've done yeah. little things, but this is, to be honest, DC, um, and <coughs> and I'll, I'll call it out. This was Jeff Johns's choice, right? Is to bring Barry Allen back when right. When there had been such fantastic work done right. to honor the sacrifice that Barry Allen yes. made. And I and want that everybody liked Wally. And so now what happens to Wally after all these people? Who oh, you're, uh, well, Dr. Manhattan removes him from the time stream, yeah. uh, from continuity. But, yeah, that, that's the thing is this has to stand because you have done – Marvel has done and Jason Aaron has done such a tremendous job of – Talking about what heroism and sacrifice mm-hmm. really, really and being means, worthy. and and being worthy. I think that yes. that that was the secret of original sin for Thor. Yes, that no gods are worthy, and that's no spoiler because that's been a, been known for at least a year. Is wow, what a devastating, yes. truthful statement that right. was. Right, and yeah, I, I love, love I love the way uh, each of the gods in this is portrayed true to their. To, to their essence and character. Odin is a bastard in this, and Frigga doesn't really like him either. We get the perfect Loki. Um, one, other, one other last thing to say about this, uh, there is an alternate cover by Walt Simonson, which shows... Oh, that would be gorgeous. ...that shows uh, Magog. I don't like it, though. I, it's gorgeous, but it actually looks like Magog and Thor are teamed up <laughs> fighting up against some other people that are in the foreground, which is kind of... Kind of weird. It's sort of like Whereas the Marvel Midnight this, Run. This cover, which uh, R.D. I guess that's Dodderman. Um, could yeah, be Robert Downey. Be. Could be Robert Downey Jr. That's just a beautiful cover of, of Thor in the fire, and uh, I, I see no reason to pick up the Simonson. As much as I like Simonson, I don't see a reason to pick up the alternate cover. No, I understand. So my last in the, in the stack is the sequel series to Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Yes, it has changed to Cave Carson has an interstellar <laughs> eye. And much like what Future Quest does, this, at least as a first issue, accomplishes the same thing. Everything you need to know is explained. Mm-hmm. And l- there are references to what I would assume are the old DC Cave Carson series and who's read those that would be picking up. Well, Cave- those ran all through the first series, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but, you know, I mean, my point is there's nobody picking up a young animal book. No. That was, that was a fan of the 60s and yeah. was reading those showcase issues in the, in the solo book he had. So this is just a really cool – and I, I picked it up also because I do love Michael Avon Emming's work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is just a cool reboot, and I don't know what makes his eye interstellar. I don't care. I just thought this was a great, cool story with an almost Bowie-esque – Kind of, what if Ziggy Stardust really was an alien? Kind of is the question, 
and there's a portrayal of the father daughter relationship in the teen years to just one panel where I went, yep, yep. that was it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. And, uh, this is by John Rivera and art by uh, Michael Avenoming with, uh, I believe it's colors by Nick Filardi. Let me just, uh, I was like, but another one where, you know, I, I do want to call out that the coloring, uh, is really, really adds so much to this book and that I'm looking forward to uh, here. The interstellar eye actually doesn't make, make him look like he has 3d glasses wow. under the skin. So, uh, I love that. And, and then, well, cause there's two things. There's a backup story. Uh, so this was, let's see. Yeah. Colors was Nick Filardi. And then, and then I just love these titles and next issue destiny of the laser monks. Uh, these are fantastic titles. But then they've got this new thing, a backup feature uh, with art by Paul Maybury, which is the backup feature is called Cave Carson Has an Educational Podcast, in which they're going to fill in some of the background as to what happened to change him. So, like, people write into the podcast that he does with his daughter, and they have questions about his group. And so it was a, just a clever, clever way to, to fill in backstory. And it's like a four-page backup, and there will be more. And so, you know, I just want to say, it's. Uh, I was glad I picked this up. And actually, I was glad they snuck it into my stack. I had cut it from my pool list, but because it was number one, Ill- uh, Elusive Comics, uh, put it back into my stack. And I went, yes, okay, I read it. And because I had said, like, I really like, I liked Milk Wars, and then this happened. And then it was like, I'm, I'm glad that I'm picking up the next wave of Young Animal. So... There we go. Let's go to movies, and I'm going to actually begin with a toy. And uh, a, I've got a toy story. Not toy story, but a, a, a an item about toys, which is that Lego, on March 31st, is releasing a Tron Legacy light cycle set. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted you to think. I know you're intrigued. Is it so. the gyroscope one? And the, the the legacy one. So yes, the the one from the sequel. So not and there's just two light cycles, and there seems to be some sort of uh, rudimentary track system. Uh, okay, you know, okay. small. But the fact that I love that they're doing that. How do they call it? Is it Lego Labs or something where they put on online? And I never go and vote, but where people design these things yes, and say yes, like, yes, can yes. we get it? And yeah. and then they're doing it. So March 31st, go to your Lego store. Also, this is a follow-up from last week. I'd say that the reports of Toys R Us's imminent death have been a little bit exaggerated because now there are toy. There, I've been seeing people posting signs on their on the doors of their local Toys R Us, which is, "No, we're not liquidating yet." So, some locations, some are, yeah, some but, are some but but they're saying it, it's not all at once. Mm-hmm. And now the organization is corporation is saying maybe. We can save a few stores, so I don't know what's going to happen. Wow. I'm hoping the haunted one stays open. That's all. I just love the landmark. I don't, but I haven't Have you got, been in it since the not since the announcement. No, I went to the one out of the plant yesterday. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. And it was. I wish I hadn't now because it was just like it was like was it just tragedy? You didn't read what I said on Facebook. It was like watching walking into the carcass of a whale and, and noticing the last few toys that have not yet been digested. Well, to be fair, you don't read you can see everything I wrote on Facebook because of course Facebook has turned out to be evil this week. So, you it's know, true. It's true. uh that's okay. Uh 
so let's let's focus on good things. Yes. Uh, aside from there might be some Toys R Us's <laughs> that stay open. And the other thing is that Deadpool 2 dropped a trailer this morning. Hilarious. Oh, my God. And confirmed that Terry Crews and the X-Force is there in full effect. And, uh, and they're called the X-Force. He calls it's a little Deadpool. derivative, don't you think? Yes. There's uh, <laughs> so much of it. We need heroes that are young and oh, <laughs> morally is, flexible and can carry and can carry a franchise for ten to twelve years. Uh, that was the best line <laughs> in the whole thing. The self awareness is amazing, and I'm thinking, man, if the when the when when the Disney purchase goes through, the things that Deadpool three will say about the Disney Corporation. <laughs> Oh, please let it happen because we can all stand the tweaking. We can do it. And this yes. is, I'm saying this. I'm a guy who is perfectly willing to have the name Andy tattooed on the bottom of his foot to show that Disney owns me. But still, I want the tweaking to happen. You don't actually have that tattooed. No, I don't. Okay. But I do That'd have an awesome tattoo. I do have a pair of Buzz Lightyear sneakers that has Andy okay. on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but I only wear it on special occasions. Mm. Mm. Uh, so yeah, the other thing that I think they've toned down his makeup a little bit too. Did you th- notice that? It's it, his his face area is not as pocked and, and uh, maybe runny yeah, maybe and mostly just the back of his head and stuff. Well, and he's got to kiss Marina Baccarin, yeah. who it remains. Good lord, the the elegance of that woman, even playing basically a stripper, a, a stripper again, yeah. uh, is like I was thinking. She has the. Like, I could see her, though she's played some very irreverent roles, mm-hmm. I see her a- aging into, like, uh, the, the modern Audrey Hepburn. That kind oh, of elegance yeah, that, you know, I, I like to play that game of, like, what old time, what classic movie star does somebody remind me of? Flip side, when we watched The the Wind, oh, you didn't, didn't uh, you didn't get to see The Wind. But I started playing the game of, and, and Chris Garcia and I were talking about it, like, what f- what modern stars traveled back in time to be like the villain of the wind was clearly Luke Evans from Beauty and the Beast, yeah. and uh, and the hero was Bradley Cooper, and it was just a, 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 I don't have a Lillian Gish analog from the modern era, but it's just funny to look and go like, yeah, there's this kind of these kinds of characters that and these actors that there's a, a type that just transcends time. And, and so for me, I thought you were going to see Marina Brocker and is eventually going to become a Helen Mirren style character. Oh, that too. Yeah. You're, 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 you're right. But because she's American, I didn't think yeah. of the, or she might be yeah. Canadian. I don't, I don't know. I don't mean to, uh, besmirch our Canadian brothers to the North since so many of us are going to be living there soon. And then, uh, there is a farewell that unfortunately is confirmed in the New York Times. Chris Evans has given an interview in which he said he will be done. We've been anticipating this. We have. I mean, it's more like, okay, we'd kind of hoped they'd go on a film by film, uh, but that once the Avengers are done, like Avengers 4, that's it for that, for Chris Evans as Steve Rogers. Right. And so I want to open this question up, and people can certainly respond to, but but to Rick as well. Which is, are the characters in the Marvel Universe like Bond? I kind of feel like, no, it's really hard to recast. And yet, Superman's been recast. Batman's been recast many times. Well, you have an in-canon recasting for him by having Bucky become Captain America. Well, that's different. That's different. I'm just saying, for this case. Yeah. And it's something they should explore, at least in the short term. Because I think that was an interesting... Uh, storyline to have uh, somebody who had been an assassin who had was going through a redemption story and, but not of his own fault really 
and then uh, becoming the Sentinel Liberty in his own way. Well, you have two characters already in the Marvel Cinematic Universe who became Captain America. Mm-hmm. Sam Wilson could could take it on. The True. Falcon could become True. Captain America. And I'd kind of almost rather see that and see Bucky become the White Wolf hmm. and continue okay. there as implied by the end of Black Panther. By this point, no spoilers there. That is, right. you know, that is the ending uh, of the film. To. Yeah, in the post credit scene, you know. So it, I just, you know, yeah, it, and I think we've, we've questioned that before is when this goes back to 2007 was Iron Man, and I think, or 2008. So it's been at least 10 – we know it's been 10 years because Spider-Man Homecoming in June, last June, said it was 10 years. Okay. So it's been 10 years and, uh, you know, is it one long epic? Because even the Bond films, this is the thing, as much as they recast, like Pierce Brosnan's last Bond film uh, bent over backwards acknowledging – all oh, so yeah. many other yeah, yeah. Bond films that happened, so we were almost complete with music. We were almost supposed to feel like this has all been one Bond with different mm-hmm. faces, whereas Casino Royale really was a reboot, and yes. you know, and that yes. and the the Daniel Craig years have been this is starting over. So, would Marvel do that, or you know, I want to see the evolution because Marvel is a company, even though they're giving a fresh start and. And taking away a bunch of things. Although I want to say Jim Zub is taking over the ch- champions and champions is staying the same. And I really at uh, the same team. I'm looking forward to that fresh start because I like Jim Zub too as a writer. I like, I love Mark Wade, but you know, I like Jim Zub and I think there's a, there's a cool energy with J- with Jim taking over and I want to see that happen. And, um, and so those characters aren't going away from the Marvel comics, right? right. I think they need in the world room right now. They need to start int- being introduced in the films, and they've kind of hinted at that Indeed. with respect to the next phase too. That you know, there's there yeah. are changes coming. I and I I'm I'm I looking forward good. to that, but I I am sorry to. We'll probably debate this to death. Go back and watch the older. Movies. Sure, does that work? No, I, I you know I they're, they're under my Jonah hex. Uh, no. Oh. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, I just want to say we'll we'll say it again. If and when it happens in Avengers Four, is Chris Evans is as iconic as Steve Rogers as Christopher Reeve was as uh, Superman, definitely. Which Henry Cavill is not, and partially because Henry Cavill has not really been allowed to be. And you know, I was thinking about it, and I just go, I don't know who's really iconic as Batman besides Adam West, and it's a different kind of Batman. Maybe Michael Keaton was. I, I just don't know. Um, you know, I, I think that's always been treated so malleably that I think the trilogy is a, is a very solid Batman. Except I just, you know, somebody He's, did the timeline and realized that ba- that Bruce Wayne, for all that training and everything, he fights according to that trilogy. He's only Batman for six months. Yeah. And. Yeah, it does kind of feel like he's yeah. So it does take a little time off between adventures. Yeah, uh, eight years passed between yeah. the second and third, supposedly. Yeah. So you know, but but Evans is just iconic, and you know, you could say Bradley Cooper's iconic as Rocket, but you know, he can play that for a long, long time he since he's not he uh, physically. It's like big finish audiobooks. You know, uh, Bradley Cooper can still be Rocket at age it's 80. It's not on our list, but we haven't talked about – have we talked about the Miles Morales uh, Spider-Man 
that they've they've shown like we did because we have the trailer is on spy into the spider verse that's yeah, coming out in okay. december the trailer is up on fanboy planet that that was animated i mean yeah uh, yeah uh, digitally 3d uh, yeah I mean, it's a good time to transition to to yeah. tv because you know also uh, speaking of champions um, many of those characters are appearing on the next animated series and that includes ghost spider who is spider gwen which thank heavens they gave her a real name instead of Spider Gwen, because uh, I knew that couldn't be and a real spider too. and a real yeah uh, and Miles Morales and so forth that and Ms Marvel is appearing and I don't know if I saw a picture of Viv Vision but the totally awesome Hulk and so they're really you know and that's why I think those characters have to become this the next wave cinematically is because now a whole generation it's like when yeah. Justice League the animated series had John Stewart and that's one of the things that people said after Ryan Reynolds played Hal Jordan is. Why isn't it John Stewart? There's a whole generation, because let's face it, as much as we love them, more people know TV and movies than sure. know comics and and see those things that they were like, why wasn't John Stewart, who is in an outtake, uh, a deleted scene from uh, the Green Lantern movie, but not in the final cut, yeah. it's like, why wasn't John Stewart the Green Lantern? Because that's the Green Lantern a whole generation knows. Well, I mean, if you look at the uh, the X-Men cartoon series those mm-hmm. don't look anything like the movies that fox ended up making and may go a ways to explain why they haven't been as, as, successful, as successful which is maybe been. why deadpool is because deadpool looks exactly like yeah. and his cyclops his colossus looks dead on oh, yeah. and you know yeah. so that's a movie that's a film franchise let's hope that embraces its comic book origins so let's go to tv speaking yes. of comic book origins i like tv uh, uh, we all like TV. Krypton made its debut last night, and there is a review from Mac Williams on Fanboy Planet of the pilot episode. You just said you you I did not have a yet. chance to watch it. It was Game of Thrones set on Krypton. Um, so it's not a bad pitch. No, no, but I think that's really uh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't mind. In fact, I, I texted my son uh, before we started podcasting. I said, by the way, SciFi dot com has the pilot for Krypton. I think you will enjoy it. You should watch it. And part of it is because they definitely, uh, they definitely make an effort. And I don't mind this because it's still my favorite vision of Krypton. Uh, they borrow a lot of production design from man of steel for the Krypton there, uh, down to one of the, I won't call them villains because they're really not. They're just closed minded, uh, leaders looks an awful lot like Russell Crowe, mm. but it's not. Mm. Um, and they all have British accents, which is another reason why Adam Strange stands out. They call he's he's the only actor who is an, has an American accent because right. he's right. Adam Strange from Detroit, he, like Jeff Johns, because uh, he looks an awful lot like Jeff Johns. Same hat, same hoodie. Yeah, yeah, pretty same much. Shoes. But to be fair, that whole Finn look would have completely stood out in what they're doing. The thing that I don't remember, last week you recommended that free issue of World of Krypton, yeah. which is a great book, and I hope they must be reprinting the whole thing. I can't imagine they won't because it's so incomplete without anything else. Yes, but it really is only tangentially. They both take place on Krypton. Yes. The plot-wise doesn't. And this I don't remember John Byrne establishing is – that the crime of the House of L initially, and this is no spoiler because it's the first two minutes, is that, let me do the chronology, 
so Segel, who is Kal-El's grandfather, right. his grandfather is this scientist who believes that, there is, that they are not alone in the universe. And this is what I don't – I think this runs counter to what the comics had uh, established is that the Kryptonians believe they're alone. And that is – that doesn't jibe for me. But anyway, that's what his punishment is. The House of L is stripped of its honor, its rank, because this great – great heretical theory. Because his heretical theory that there is and he's executed in the first two, three minutes. Uh. And that leaves uh, Seg L as a boy watching this and growing up. He's kind of like – you know that now they're the lower class of Krypton, right? And it's about regaining the right to have the mark, right? And in the middle of all this of establishing, which was surprisingly, I kind of liked it. Uh, our reviewer Mac was not did not seem as high on it because he was right too. It's overstuffed. It makes a mistake that I think I wouldn't even call it a, a mistake. It does the same thing that I think Gotham did. That was that if. If Gotham hadn't intended to be such a, a bat guano crazy show, yeah, that it opened with the death of the Waynes instead of establishing what Gotham City was and leading to right. over the first season building us up. Let us see a Bruce Wayne who's happy. Instead, in this one, it's let's see how crappy things are for Segel. How much motivation can you pour into one episode? Right. And that's okay because in the middle of it, there's this guy in a baseball cap and a hoodie. And I know you said, you know, you said like, oh, it's, it's weird. And he does look an awful lot like Jeff Johns, as did Hawkman in DC's Legends of Tomorrow to me. So two Jeff yeah. Johns, you know, wedge things. Um, the, the baseball cap has, I can't remember what uh, team symbol it is, but uh, like a sports team. And so the first thing Seg LC says when he grabs him is like, Whose house is that? And you know, so it's like they acknowledge <laughs> there's this weird the house of slam, <laughs> something like that, uh, some joke with it. But but that he has a crystal from the Fortress of Solitude on Earth, uh-huh. and gives it to him. See, that's my problem with I, I liked Adam Strange for me was an awesome character in that he he had uncontrolled teleportation as his 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 curse, really superhero superhero right. power, not time travel no but one of the mysteries here is but one of the mysteries here is i i realized as i was thinking about this was that they have not he doesn't say who sent him Mm -hmm. we know who he's trying to stop okay who is also time traveling and so that's why it's quite possible that that's how it happened it's some hijacking of the zeta beam there's not a lot of background as to who adam strange really is and 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 that's the and that's the smartest thing this series could do is give me a mystery give me little pieces he has superman's cape which again no that's no spoiler because that was in the trailer it's the image that sci-fi is is advertising and I would say the interesting thing, most interesting thing about Krypton is that when this was announced, I thought it was the stupidest idea for a show. And I believe my tweet was hashtag six seasons and an apocalypse. And uh, and now it's like, okay, I want to see where this is going. It yeah. is so much better than I thought it was going to be. It's still, it's still a little oddly paced. So on the CW meter, where does it fall? 
I mean, because that's what I'm getting. I just realized the other day I been I I binged a season and a half of Supergirl. No, this is a and, sci-fi series, and I love I I love Supergirl, but there was but it's got CW it's got all a lot over of it. CW in it. Yeah. So the relationships. Uh, so the- I say so far. There's soap opera. There's intrigue. Yeah. There's a Romeo and Juliet story going on here okay. uh, that I don't want to spoil. It is. I'm going to go ahead and say it, and I don't even you know, and I'm not even a big fan of screenwriter of David S. Goyer anymore. It's better than any CW show. Okay. Good. It's just from a structural standpoint. Now that's a pilot, you know. They could they could, they could hideously up. go off the rails. <laughs> they could have a as, focus group as the Flash often does. As much as I love the Flash, yeah, uh, it goes off the rails and then goes back on. Where I just go, there are times I want to shake at super speed, Barry Allen, and just right, go, same. "You did the same thing last season. It didn't work well. Stop it. Stop it." Yes, and uh, so I'm, I'm a little behind on the Flash. Maybe it's all worked out by now, but it's still, you know, it. it it's another show with an expiration date, and I hope that they stick to it. That there's a that there is a sense of urgency, and there's a reason for the sense of urgency, and I hope that they stick to it. And you could you could have said the same thing about Game of Thrones, which I which I wasn't kidding. That's a great pitch. Let's let's do Game of Thrones, but a sci-fi Game of Thrones in outer space. I'm I'm there. Yeah. Because Game of Thrones is about character growth, development, about about long arc and shorter arcs that make sense in building towards the longer yeah. arc. So I'm gonna so. go with that. That's what it that's that's what it is. Cool. I don't think it's perfect, but it could be. I'll and watch it, it tomorrow. It, it, I think you'll really enjoy it. Um so which is funny, by the way, I did get uh an email from Owen Long, director of Seeds, and he said he really enjoyed the podcast. But the funniest thing is, he thought it was funny that I told you not to watch Seeds. Okay. And I said, you know, that I do, that, I, that you know, I absorb a lot. I consume a lot of of entertainment, of, of cult, uh, uh, I don't want to say culture, but of media. And I always look at an eye to who should I recommend it to, uh-huh. you know, and that, I, that that's always in my head. Maybe I should let that go and just enjoy a thing from now, for every now and then. But... I've kind of put myself in this position of people ask me my opinion and I can say like, oh, no, this is maybe not for you. Krypton was like, like I said, my son can't watch Game of Thrones. He's not ready for it because right. the other thing, but, but by putting it on sci-fi, it's also no nudity. Um, it's an alien planet, so they're not swearing. and But it's got the intrigue and, you know, and it's Superman. And, it you know, I got through. They're using the John Williams theme. That's the other thing oh, nice. is – and that Adam Strange calls it out. Your grandson is going to be Superman. And, like, they're not playing. They're not toying with this and go, oh, we're going to be coy about it. He tells Segel who his son- grandson is going to be in the pilot. And I'm like, okay, good. Thank you for not messing around with right, that. Right, right, right. You don't, know, don't be the broody guy in the corner who eventually, who eventually goes, uh, slips up all his yeah. drunk and tells him. Uh, and I just thought, found it ironic. And I, I don't think I've ever thought of this before. And it's just because... Um, I don't think it's, we've ever seen it portrayed this way as the capitalist candor. And the problem with them all is that none of them can be honest. So there is no candor in candor. Oh and it, it's like, oh, I wonder if they meant that. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. That's probably when you go, 
Um, would you put that English degree away, sir? Yes, I'm sorry. Exactly. We have no room exactly. for it here. Uh, you're not going to be writing a paper on it. Well, I might. Anyway, uh, so the X-Files wrapped up last night, uh, the last episode of this new season, and Chris Carter said it was the best cliffhanger they'd ever done, and neither you nor I have watched it. But what's frustrating is I know Jillian Anderson has said she's not going to come back for another season. So I don't know what it was. Somebody want to write in and tell me? Yeah. That'd be great, because I still have to catch up on last year's miniseries. I stopped with a lizard, man. Uh, Good episode. So let's end on some really positive stuff, which is that Constantine, assuming back to the CW, that DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which, by the way, I freely admit, an, an insanely flawed show that undercuts its own episodic premise within an episode. Like, they'll establish a rule right. and break it before oh, no, the episode is over. Same character who establishes it breaks it. But it's so fun yeah. that I don't care. Uh, that assuming they get a fourth season, which they're gonna, let's face it, that all those DC CW shows are doing well, that John Constantine, Matt Ryan is going to join as a full-time regular in the fourth season, which also this weekend, and I did not realize written by JM Day Mateus, the yeah. animated series oh, yeah, on yeah, yeah. CW seed is going to be released this weekend. So Matt Ryan has, so it's, it's going to be like, uh, Justice League Dark, right? No, 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 no. No, there's a Constantine animated series oh, specifically really? for CW Seed, which also shows the 13 episodes of the NBC Constantine series. Okay. So this means that Matt Ryan has played Constantine <coughs> on right. Constantine, right. Arrow, yes. DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Yes. Now, that's not a cheat because Arrow and DC's Legends of Tomorrow Same are universe. connected. Yep, 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 yep. He has played John Constantine in Justice League Dark, Voice. the DC Universe anime, which is not in the same continuity, but he's still got to be John Constantine. It's, continuity's not going to stop him. He's going to be in the animated. He's got his own little solo animated series. Yeah. And uh, it was also last week somebody cornered the, one of the producers of Lucifer and said, could Constantine show up there? Oh and he God. goes, we don't have plans, but maybe. So, this, this is appropriate for Constantine. He can be putting his, <laughs> sticking his nose into so many shows that he has no business doing. Wow. Um, and you know what? The funny thing is, I realize I don't, I've not seen Matt Ryan ever play any other character. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he had roles other than Constantine. I have only seen him as Constantine. And that's okay because I've seen him in so many shows. <laughs> As Constantine. What a great, great gig to have, too, because how do you get ready for that? Well, you don't sleep well. You don't do your hair in the morning. You don't shave. You just show up, put on a... Which I appreciate about him is before the show, before the NBC series was launched, he was kicked out of the Hard Rock Hotel in San Diego um, for, for being too rowdy. Oh I think he, I think he smoked in his room or something. Okay. He did something very Constantine. <laughs> Uh, and I haven't heard boo about his behavior since, but I thought was it was interesting. But I thought it was interesting. It, it was the, well, it was the Comic Con where there were a lot of Constantines walking around, and uh -huh. I think I actually have a business card. They were handing out paranormal investigator cards. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, it was just a very Constantine thing to do, yes. and so it, it's like we, we were just saying about how iconic. Uh, Chris Evans and Christopher Reeve were Matt Ryan is iconically Constantine. Yes. 
And I don't know if that's a character that has really reached iconic status, but he has as an actor infusing with that role and certainly not turning it down when they offer him more chances to play it. So bless him. Do you think anybody has trouble in Hollywood casting a super, I mean, maybe finding the right one, but once you find the right one, does anybody turn down nowadays a comic book? See, isn't that interesting that that has changed because, you know, I, I've I've read a lot of articles in the aftermath after like Adam West saying it totally hindered him. The reason Sean Connery left bond was he didn't want to be typecast as bond. Patrick Troughton left Dr. Who after three years because he didn't want to be typecast. And now I think the way that celebrity works, it's, you're right. It's a blessing. Matt Smith, certainly back to Dr. Who is yeah. that maybe he left too, too soon. And, you know, in like, Although he's done very well. I mean, well, he's done, a, it took a while. Yeah. You know, he, he was in Terminator Genesis and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, yeah. He's fantastic on the crown. I recommend the two seasons of the crown that he plays Prince Philip, but. Uh, it took a while for that spark to hit because sure. he was trying to get into these American big budget things or, or things that would strike with fandom and, and he's good in them. They just weren't good films. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, yeah, he could have done another season or two and Capaldi. I totally get why he left Dr. Who just because, you know, it, it takes its run. toll. I mean, it take, yeah, it yeah. takes a toll physically yeah. and he's now 61 or 62, you know? So, um, anyway, but back to John Constantine and saying, I'm looking forward to that. And if you don't have the CWC app, I, I recommend that. The other thing, I want to say that with, with Krypton, the sci-fi app, I downloaded that today just to see, it's like, well, all right, you know, because I, maybe I'll watch it at night and, you know, because I can't get it on a PlayStation. They don't have a sci-fi app. So I put uh-huh. it on my phone and I find, I'll watch shows with a headphone and just like in bed and, and watch there. And the sci-fi app, is perfectly fully functional and has all the shows, which means I'm going to catch up on channel zero late at night Uh-oh. in my bed. No, nice. I probably shouldn't do that. Nice. Um, but you know, I can't help myself you should do that among a lot of people at a Starbucks. <laughs> I, I know I'm just going to sit there in the mornings and go get early morning walk and get my coffee. And so they're going, no. Uh, <laughs> so tell us what you, what you're watching at Starbucks. Why don't they have a channel yet? Ooh. Or a, a streaming service. <laughs> it's very jittery. Very yes, jittery reception. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, hey, if you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, anything we talked about that you think you want to weigh in, once again, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can tweet us at fanboyplanet. You can follow us on Instagram as well. Uh, follow us on Twitter, will you? It's, it's a nice thing to do. Yes. And, uh, and, and we'll do our best to, commu- to communicate. We also have a Facebook page, Fanboy Planet. Say hi. Just say we, hi. I love hearing from people. Like I said, I really, uh, the great thing about Cinequest has been emailing out to like the filmmakers and say, Hey, we just interviewed you. And, and then people started listening to the podcast and telling me like, we, I listened to the whole thing. I loved this. And somebody was calling it. Thanks people for, who aren't necessarily our audience. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and so, you know, that was cool. So, you know, follow us, say hi, make a, make a connection. And we, we, we love hearing from you. I mean, that's what this is about. This is meant to be conversation and we probably talk too much. And I probably talked too much tonight. So let's just say once again, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And this is Rick Snyder reminding you to use your powers for good.
thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. Worldcon is returning to San Jose, California. Writers, readers, and fans from around the globe will converge on the Bay Area in August to mingle, read, write, play, geek out, and celebrate the Hugo Awards together at the 76th World Science Fiction Convention. Programming for Worldcon is still in the works. If you have ideas for readings, lectures, panels, musicians, anything, share them with us at worldcon76.org. Have you registered for Worldcon yet? Register today at worldcon76.org to join the more than 2,500 attending members in San Jose from August 16th to the 20th. Keep up with Worldcon 76 on Twitter at Worldcon 2018 and on Facebook at Worldcon 76.